Good afternoon and welcome to a special edition of In Transition. This afternoon we're going to be talking with vibist Matthias Lupri. Matthias was here in Ottawa recently during the Ottawa International Jazz Festival and I had a chance to chat with him and this is how it went down. Hi, Matthias. Uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Randy. Uh, thanks so much for having me here. I'm glad we could do this interview. Who were, there, who were some of the influences uh, on your musical style? I'd say I've been uh, influenced by a lot of uh, different musicians and styles. I guess, um, I mean, growing up as a rock drummer and country drummer, I did, you know, I did a lot of blues and stuff too. So in my early days, I was influenced by um, you know a lot of the rock people of the day, Led Zeppelin and uh, Pink Floyd and country artists, uh, Willie Nelson and stuff like that. Um, but then when I got into jazz, I was definitely influenced by, uh, I mean, the, the vibe player that really influenced me the most was Gary Burton, and a lot of his early records. Uh, and they had a lot of country influences too in his playing, so that was something of a crossover influence for me there. And, uh, you know, the 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 heroes of the day, of, of, of the classic jazz, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Bill Evans, um, a lot of stuff like that, and and I guess uh, Mike Maneri was another big influence, and his, his band Steps Ahead, uh, people of that nature. What was it about their playing uh, that you enjoyed so much? I guess what I really enjoyed about a lot of their playing was, um, like for example, Gary Burton. When I when I first heard him, he did a lot of, um, like I said, country stuff in his early days too. He had an album called Duster, and and some fusion records called with uh, Larry Coryell and they did a lot of you know kind of, a lot of fun music too that was uh, not so mainstream jazz you could say and it was you know covering some new ground and when I heard that stuff it really really influenced me a lot and uh, I think I think to hear the mixture of other elements mixed in with with the mainstream jazz is what I really was excited about and uh, you know hearing his other records too he did a lot of that kind of stuff and um you know bill evans uh you know his harmonic voicings cluster chords uh, i really like i loved his his style of playing his uh his um lyrical ism in, in his playing that really excited me a lot
We just heard some music from the Gary Burton Quartet from a recording made way back in April of 1967. We heard one, two, one, two, three, four, and that was taken from his album Duster, featuring Gary on vibes, Larry Coryell on guitar, Steve Swallow on bass, and the great Roy Haynes was on drums. And we also heard some music from Mike Manieri from his album Wanderlust and Flying Colors. My name is Randy McElligot, and you're listening to In Transition on CHUO FM 89.1. Let's get back to my interview with Vibus Matthias Lupri. Do you have any recordings in your collection um, that are somewhat older that you go back to and listen to from time to time, maybe to gain some ideas or uh, inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I have quite a selection of older recordings, too, that I listen to, uh, you know, back to big band era, I guess, and uh, up to today. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's so much music out there that there's so much influence to be had. And I can't say that I uh, go out there and really, like, listen to something and take that per se and work on it into a tune or something. But I do... I do get influenced by, I do a lot of listening and, and listen to as much music as I can from the past and just let, just try to absorb the whole feel of it, I guess would be my main thing. I try to absorb the, the the feeling of the tune overall and the essence of a whole CD. Some Like some CDs have a certain uh, concept to them and you just try to, you know, take that inside of you and, and see how it affects your life. And I guess that's the biggest thing I could say I take from older recordings overall, listening to music and, and you know, what is, it, what is it doing for me emotionally? And then when I write and compose my own music and, and play with my group, I try to, like, okay, what kind of mood can I set with this tune? Where can I take the audience, the listener, to on this particular piece of music or something? Always looking for that situation that can be musically challenging for you as an artist is probably what drives uh, many musicians. Yeah, situations that can be musically challenging, yeah, they're, uh, they're always around. I, I would say I, I'm, I started really late playing the vibes. I mean, I was a, a drummer playing rock and roll and country, blues, etc. for so many years that when I got into the vibes, I started really, really late. In my, in my mid-20s, I started playing the vibes. So it was really a struggle for me to, to learn to function properly on the instrument you know even all the time even even to this day still I still find myself like I feel like I'm behind a lot of the players I'm playing with that you know they started on the instrument when they were six years old or something like that and and therefore can function and know more harmonically than I do so it's 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 I find myself quite often always challenging myself with with the players I'm with and 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 the tunes but you know, writing my own tunes, you know, you start to develop your own sound, and and you start, you know, I'm definitely better at playing my own tunes and playing other people's tunes. So, you know, I I tend to lead my own bands, and and leading, you know, leading your own band and everything is quite a full endeavor in itself, and and making recordings. So, I'm pretty happy just doing that and challenging myself with my own music and my own group. Also, I find that I try to bring in, uh, you know, new artists quite often. Uh, players that will you know challenge me like I, I we recently played with Greg Osby and and he's got a, a certain style that he does and his 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 whole 
idiom of thought process is just it's just amazing what he does with his music and and where it takes you so having him on stage with us you know that's a real challenge and, and really fun thing to do and anyone else that you uh bring into the fold also players like mark turner i bring in george garzone um kung vu the trumpet player and his electronics it just opens up a whole new world and, and it's always a musically challenging scenario to have these artists in and and, and see what happens and how the group reacts to that. I know there are many musicians out there who sometimes wish that they could play with uh, some of their favorites who have uh, passed away. I was just wondering, are there any musicians that you would have loved to have uh, played with uh, who are no longer with us? Yeah, the mus musicians that aren't around anymore, yeah, there's a lot of them. So, I mean, there's a lot of great great cats that, that would have been fun to play with. I mean, I mean... Jazz is such a conversational music, and it's so interesting to meet people from around the world. I mean, just in regular day, you know, just to meet people in, in general, it's it's and have conversations. It's fun, but on a, on a jazz musical context, I mean, she's love to love to play with Coltrane and Miles and Bill Evans, all these guys. I mean, they would all have been quite quite the interesting trip to to play with and and see what happens there so I, I you know i could just go on and on about all the different musicians um so you know hopefully uh during my lifetime i get to play with a lot of the players that, that maybe 100 years from now will be looked on and and i could say yeah i played with them
You mentioned before that you played the drums for a while. Um, are you still um, playing them? Yeah, I don't play the drums that much anymore. I um, kind of I found for myself I really needed to focus with my music, and once I really started getting into into jazz and the vibes, I just found that uh, trying to play drums also just kind of hindered my process, and I found myself. Um, you know, do I take this gig and play the vibes? Do I do that gig and play the drums? What do I want, what do I really want to do? And it really came down to I really want to write my own music, play my own music, from a, and usually be the lead instrument or, or, or melodic part of that sound. So I've really kind of shied away from the drums lately, and, and can't say that I've played much at all in the past ten years. But you know, if something came along and 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 it was a really good thing for me to do on drums I, I would still play but um it have to really be it have to really sway me from what i'm doing here else else elsewise we just heard some music from john coltrane from his classic album giant steps we heard countdown from may the 4th 1959 featuring tommy flanagan on piano paul chambers on bass art taylor was on drums and John Coltrane on tenor sax. My name is Randy McElligot, and you're listening to a special edition of In Transition, in conversation with Vibus Matthias Lupri. Coming to you from the Media Skywalk at the University of Ottawa, serving the Ottawa Hall area and surroundings at 89.1. We're also streaming live on the Internet at www.chuo.fm. If you had to make a recording with only one musician, Matthias, um, who would it be? Yeah, the who would I like to record with? One musician, that's always a tough question. I guess um, there's so many great players out there. I guess I've always been a big fan of Pat Metheny. Um, you know, his spectrum of music is quite large if you look at his whole uh, record output and the, st- the different styles he's done and his sounds and, and compositions. I, I could really love to do a record with him and, and, you know, of my own music, but with his sound. I, would, I could see myself really, really enjoying that. That would be a lot of fun. But, you know, there's a lot of players out there. I'd love to record with, uh, with Greg Osby someday, too. I could really do a, a real recording with him. Um, but, yeah, there's so many players.
You mentioned earlier that um, there are so many musicians out there that you would love to play with. Well, let's say you were to put together a dream band. Who would it consist of? Yeah, dream band is a funny thing. Uh, you know, as musicians, you dream a lot. But, uh, you know, I love touring with my own group and, and I, you know, record as much with my own group, too. That would be That's really a good dream band right there where you can just really tour a lot and record, tour, record, retour, you know. That kind of consistency is really good. But, you know, my last record with uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Mark Turner, and Ruben Rogers, and Greg Hutchison, I mean, that was a dream band right there when I put that, that CD project together. And and uh, for me, that was a lot of fun. And music, extremely musically challenging for me. And it was, you know, great to play my own music with them. You know, we, we I get to play with all of them once in a while, but it's hard to have a whole group thing with that sort of band because everybody has their own projects and and they're so busy touring that it's really hard to pull everybody together but we did a CD release party and uh, pretty much had the whole group there and got to play live for that and uh, ended up that Mark Turner couldn't make it but then ended up, ended up having Greg Osby play there so that was really fun and just having him at the table brought in a whole new thing in with that group there too Anyone else maybe outside of your own uh, band that you have now? But, you know, also, you know, I'd love another dream band, maybe like maybe with Chris Potter and, and Scott Coley and uh, Bill Stewart. I mean, they do a lot of stuff. They have great records. I'd love to play with them. That could be a lot of fun. You know, Matthias, I think that um, maintaining a childlike aspect throughout your life is very important, especially when you're creating. And um, because jazz is such a unique form of music, uh, maintaining a childlike quality is uh, always important throughout uh, not only the performing of one's compositions but the writing as well. Yeah, feeling like a child, um, <laughs> that's a funny thing. I, w- I, always, I, I definitely believe that. I find that uh, being a musician, you're always always learning and always in that, that search to learn in that creative mode. So, yeah, I, I, I still feel like a kid. I always have felt like a kid. And, uh, you know, as life goes on and... You are getting older. I still feel like I'm, you know, a teenager actually. It may, maybe even a lot younger uh, sometimes. It's just it's it's a it's a funny feeling, but uh, I definitely believe uh, music keeps you young, and and especially jazz, it sure sure keeps you going. I love it. So, have you incorporated any of your childhood um, memories into your compositions at all? But uh, you know, a lot of the music I write to um, references to my childhood too. And I think that comes out uh, the very first tune on my very first album. Actually, was called "Children," and uh, it was a very playful kind of tune. And uh, again, that was again written from looking out a window. And you know, I'd, I'd see a lot of kids playing in a courtyard below my street there, and uh, hear them screaming and stuff. And and that filtered through my music. And I, I always kind of dreamt back to my childhood years when I wrote that tune. And uh, and and that definitely what you're saying is true. And there was another tune on my latest album, uh, a tune called Wish Song, off the same Time Twice album that um, was based on the reflections of childhood of always wishing for something, you know, when you're a kid, Christmas time and birthdays. And just in general, you're always dreaming a lot and wishing for things. And, and I always remember days on end of daydreaming, you know, and, and wishing for things. And uh, so I wrote that tune based on those thoughts. And, and you know, there's always a... 
I, I I wrote a bit of a darker section in that tune too. There, a little dark dark section there where, I guess as as, as a kid too, you know, you're scared a lot too, scared of, of growing older and scared of what growing older means and uh, and all the things like that. And so when I wrote that tune, there was this little you know just a little section that got a bit, bit darker and and that was in reference to the darker side of that too. I know this is a difficult question to answer, but do you remember the best concert that you ever saw? See, best concert I ever saw, uh, I, I, I really couldn't tell you. Um, you know, there's so many phases in life, different mindsets, different eras, you know, 80s and 90s, now we're in the, the, two th you know, the new, new, new century here. Um, yeah, I, I, I've seen a lot of great shows, and and you know, it just it just depends on on you know jazz. What's that? You know, I've seen some a lot of great jazz shows, a lot of great rock shows. You know, great blues shows, great country shows, <laughs> uh, great opera, great opera, great great classical music. Yeah, you know. It's 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 so, so much great music out there. I I, I couldn't uh, couldn't pinpoint that for you. Was there a defining moment in your life that made you uh, want to play music? Yeah, when I started playing the drums in 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 the school bands, I think I was in grade seven or something. Uh, you know, they they had the school school program and, and and it was a class you could take, and it just seemed like a lot of fun and something to try out. So I tried that out and uh, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun and. Uh, I think, in terms of defining moments, I think when I uh, I, I started playing um, the vibes, and I you know I went to I went to, I, I, I really wanted to learn how to compose music. That's why I switched over to vibes in the first place. I uh, I was a rock drummer and and I was doing studio sessions, and people would always bring in their own music, and I never understood how to put music together. I was always playing drums and I didn't feel like I was playing music so I really wanted to learn how to play music and understand music compose music and I started going to college to learn how into a music program to learn the theory of music and that's where I got introduced to vibes and then uh, you know work really had a struggle with that for a number of years and then when I heard some Gary Burton records Times Square was an album of his with Roy Haynes on drums and Tiger Kashi on trumpet Steve Swallow on bass. When I heard that record, I really went, "Wow, this is this is really cool." I can see how you know jazz can go in different directions. When I heard that album, and 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 with the vibes, especially, I learned, "Wow, I could listen to, listen to this vibe player, what he's doing," and it was so different compared to what Milt Jackson and Bobby Hutchinson was doing were doing. And that was a defining moment for me to say, "Yeah, I could do this," and and I'm really into this. This is really. This could be really cool, and that that from that point on, I think I changed my life and, and really started working on the vibes. I did go out on the road again a bit more, playing drums for another five years, but I, then I started bringing my vibes with me on the road and practicing hotel rooms a lot, and and uh, you know eventually to the point where I went to Berkeley and uh, actually got to study with Gary Burton himself. You're listening to a special edition of In Transition. My name is Randy McElligot. We just listened to some music from Pat Metheny, the title track from his album, We Live There. And we're also listening to a conversation that I had with Matthias Lupri, 
covering various topics, and we're going to get back to that in just a moment. But before we do, I'd like to play for you some music from the great pianist Bill Evans. What's your favorite piece off of uh, Same Time Twice? Yeah, again, about favorite pieces, you know, um, you know, like you mentioned Jade, you like that a lot. I, Jade was one of my favorite tunes, too. I liked it a lot. And uh, But, you know, again, as you look with, you know, what's your favorite CD and everything, as you said before, um, I guess for favorite pieces, again, you know, you, there's different qualities of emotion on this CD of, uh, of my life and what I was thinking and each tune sort of represents something different yet the whole CD as a whole or you know again says something as, as a whole too but per tune each tune you know it depends on the time of day when you listen you know for me I listen to one tune in the morning and if I listen to it again later at night I wouldn't have the same emotion about it I wouldn't feel the same way about it yet if you listen to another piece of music on the album you feel a certain way so and and it changes daily, so it's 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 the funny thing about music and art; it really changes uh, daily, and uh, even hourly. When you listen to music, it just it just uh, certain things in music grab you at certain times, and just that's just the way it is. What is your most uh, satisfying CD release to date? Yeah, that's always a funny question. The most satisfying record to date, you know, it's it's sort of like. Um, 
you know, my next one is always going to be my, my most satisfying. The one I haven't recorded, that's going to be the most satisfying one. You know, it, it, I guess being an artist, you, you're always, you know, recording your life as you see it, and uh, or maybe how you want to see it. So every record sort of represents a certain time in my life, you know, and the, the music I was writing at that time, and also your ability as a musician. How you know, there's you, you are a certain you have certain strengths and weaknesses as you progress and grow as a musician, and some things, you know, that I might have played on my first record, you know, I could play better now, but then again, sometimes the things you don't know are sometimes the things that make the music unique. So, you know, every album has its uniqueness in that sense and the players that were there. And, you know, they really are snapshots of time because you go into the studio for one or two days, record, and that's sort of what you're hearing. And But, you know, there's so much music going on every day. You're, you know, playing with different musicians all the time, recording, to, I mean, touring around a lot. And uh, every time you replay, it's, it's it's sort of a different thing. Even if you play the same, you know, you're playing the same tunes, it's, it's, it's improvised music so much that it's always changing. So it's hard to pinpoint and say, yeah, that's the defining moment of that CD. It's just, it's just one day in one year back, you know, back, back then, that's what I did on that one day and that's how it came out. So, but it's, it's sort of a general representation of the group. So I like them all. I can't say that I like one more than the other, but you know, the latest one I like a lot and, uh, let's see what happens with the next one. Do you remember the first concert that you ever attended? Let's see, first concert I ever attended. Now, you don't say jazz, I'm not saying jazz concert, but first concert. Um, I mean, of course, I, I went to some concerts with my parents when I was a kid, so I'm trying to remember. You know, I went to some classical co concerts, but I don't recall what they were at, at this point. But let me see, my, in my teenage years, I, mean, I went to some early rock, you know, when I first started going to rock concerts, you know, with the in Canada there and the uh, you know some of the Canadian bands at that time uh April Wine I loved going to see April Wine and uh, the band called Trooper I remember seeing Prism those were the early days and then um see the first jazz concert I went to some of the very first ones I when I first started getting into jazz I saw Chick Corea when he was touring with uh, Miroslavovich's I'm pronouncing his last name right, and um, Roy Haynes on drums. That that that, that trio album that they did, and uh, that was a that was a great concert. I really enjoyed seeing uh, Roy Haynes play then too. That really hit me. To hit, that really hit me to what Roy Haynes was doing, and and Chick Corea. I mean, the whole trio was just great. Seeing them. Also saw. I also saw Miles Davis. Um, Back in the back in the eighties, early eighties, um, doing this electric band that was really cool. I think, I think was Mike Stern on guitar. I can't remember. It was so so far back then, but um, actually, it was Mike Stern because I remember seeing Miles on several occasions uh, back in the mid eighties, and I don't believe that John Schofield was playing with him then. He might have been, but at least the shows that I saw uh, back then featured uh, Mike Stern, and I believe Bob Berg was on sax at the time. That was a really cool concert. He played with his back towards the audience the whole time. I do remember that. But uh, great musician, great musician. 
Another thing that I find very interesting is the idea of um, when you're composing, to always have an idea or multiple ideas in your head that are flexible and sort of free-floating. They're not rigid. So you can play around with them sort of like putty. You know, you can manipulate them and work them. And um, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I definitely agree with that, you know, with uh, keeping it floating and the, the concepts and and not having a rigid concept going. Um, I mean, jazz to me has always been a, you know, how can you change this to make it interesting again in another way? I mean, that's 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 one of the things. My latest album is called Same Time Twice, and it's referenced to Deja Vu as a musician, to Deja Vu as a musician where you're playing music and you might be playing the same tunes over and again, or as you say, maybe it's the same concept, and you're constantly floating these concepts past the band that you're playing with and touring with and to the audience. But the idea is that you're going to keep changing the music and seeing where it goes night after night if you're on tour or with the different players and and, and have different solos and, and take it to different areas and, and have different discussions yet on the same concept or the same tune. And same time twice is in reference to that. Like people say, don't play the same thing twice, but uh, you can have the same time twice. So, you know, the, the time being the tune, the tune is the time, the feeling, and uh, and getting off on that and, and doing that every night, but at the same time, doing something different as much as possible. But at the same time, it's sort of a twofold thing because, uh, you know, if you're always changing it every, up every night, you know, you're going to be telling a different story. And then sometimes, you know, you might not tell the, the best story the night, the next night. And, and then maybe the following night you tell what you thought was the best story ever. And then it's like the following night you say to yourself, man, we should repeat that story again because that was a really good story. But by doing that, you're not really telling, you know, you're not really following that true jazz guideline that a lot of us want to follow. And, and so you, if you try to repeat what you said the night before, you know, you're not, you're not really, uh, you're not going to do it as well because it's, it's no longer spontaneous. It's, it's now you're trying to copy what you did the night before and the night before had all the different elements of, of maybe a different audience, uh, different emotional feelings throughout the day, different feelings on stage. I mean, all that's, all these things come into play when you're, when you're talking about jazz and playing jazz. And, uh, so you really got to try to stay open, but also understand that, you know, you're not always going to have the same good nights and it's just, it's just varies. And, and that's, that's something that's hard to deal with quite often. And I'm not sure if the audience all, you know, maybe some of the audiences aren't hip to that, that the, that the musicians are searching for that new story to tell you. And, and sometimes it's not always going to be, you know, as good as it could be, I guess. But that's jazz. I'm sure that in your travels, uh, you've come across many musical stories that were rather funny. And I'm just wondering if you could share maybe uh, one or two of them with us today that uh, happened to you. Hmm. Funny musical stories. Let me think. Uh, I don't know if I think that too, too funny. I think I think the funniest thing that's ever happened was um, if you think back in the eighties, you know, in the long, long-haired days of, of the eighties, I was a rock drummer playing hard rock drums, um, double bass drums in a hard rock band, 
you know, the crazy 80s, and I started getting involved in jazz and enjoying jazz, and I was on the road with these rock bands, and I started bringing my vibes with me on the road. Um, so I started practicing the vibraphone in my hotel room during the day while I was playing rock and roll at night. And I guess the funniest thing was, was that, you know, the, the rest of the band couldn't make sense of what I was doing. They, they would come into my room and be like, what are you doing, you know? What is that instrument? I've never seen that before, you know? And I had just started playing, so I didn't know much about it, so it didn't sound too good either. And uh, I practiced a lot with Jamie Abersold Records on the road, and, uh, and uh, you know, it was just kind of funny. You know, the, the guys in the long hair and leather jackets and the groupies or something might come into the hotel room and... You know, they look at look at they'd come and look at me. They just look at this instrument and scratch their head and like, what is going on? You know, they couldn't figure me out when I, what I was doing, trying to play this music and um, play this instrument. So, you know, it's definitely a bizarre instrument. You know, it's off off the beaten path, definitely. So I guess that's kind of like my funniest musical story. When you were growing up, did music come naturally to you? Yeah, I couldn't say that I was. A natural musician at all. I, my my parents they weren't musically inclined at all. My my uh, my sisters no musical no musicality at all either. Um, I started off playing in the in the school bands, playing drums, and you know I started taking lessons and stuff, and eventually switched over to vibes in my mid twenties. And I'd say a lot of it was, you know, I had put a lot of work into it and. Um, study a lot and practice a lot and I couldn't say that it really came natural to me especially the vibes I really had I struggled for quite a while trying to make it all happen and pull it together and, and it's still a struggle so I guess there are some people that are just naturally gifted performers and players and but I, I sure don't feel like I'm one of them we just heard some music from Miles Davis classic recordings that he made for Columbia with Gil Evans and uh, a beautiful composition, one that I've always admired. It's entitled Song Number 2. Now, this composition isn't very long in length. It's under two minutes, but there's quite a bit that's going on with the orchestration and Miles Davis's beautiful trumpet blending in with the music. You're also listening to an interview that I had recently with vibist Matthias Lupri, and we're going to get back to that right now. You know, with the emergence of the internet, how has this new paradigm affected your relation with your fans? Yeah, the internet, you know, it's been great for uh, for uh, people being able to get in touch with with uh, artists and what they're interested in. And, you know, you can you put up a web page and you can hear some of the samples and you can buy music directly. You can see the tour itineraries. You can sort of see what's going on with the artist. So, yeah, it's been great for me. I mean, I get you know, emails all the time from people around the world and, uh, and, uh, you know, it just, it just really opens up your whole, you know, fan base, I guess, and, and, uh, you know, people from all over the world can check you out on, on the web now and, uh, and, uh, communicate with you and, uh, it's a very interesting thing, the whole internet. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes and, uh, um, You know, it just, uh, yeah, we shall see where it goes. One of my favorite songs off of your album, uh, Same Time Twice, is the composition Jade. 
What is this song about? Yeah, Jade. Uh, love that tune a lot myself. I, it was uh, one of my favorite tunes off the album, too. Um, you know, Kurt, Kurt uh, Rosenwinkel is playing, you know, his, his acoustic guitar on that one and uh, definitely adds a certain ambience with that class, with that nylon string guitar he's playing. It's just it's beautiful like, what he does with that. And, um, I mean, the whole tune, the Jade, um, first of all, um, I mean, I was very inspired by Bill Evans. Really checked out a lot of Bill Evans and, you know, the blue and green tune, beautiful piece of music that he did with Miles, you know. Uh, you know, it's still debatable, did Miles write that or did Bill Evans write that? But, uh, you know, when you think about the title, Blue and Green, and, um, you know, this, you know, when I think, when I wrote this tune, Jade, I mean, Jade has, you know, certain colors to it, and, uh, it's almost sort of a bluish-green kind of thing, too, and, um, you know, Jade, but when you think about blue and green, it's like you can think of blue as as an emotion. I mean, you think of colors as emotions, and when you think about jade, and you think of jade as an emotion, you know, um, you think of the color of jade and that's and it's emotion. And you also think, you know, it's it's you add you add the letter D to it, and you got the word jaded, you know. And uh, you think about life, and wow, you know, I definitely don't want to become jaded in my life, and um, you know it. It's so easy. I see that when you look at society, how people become jaded so quickly, even at a young age. And there's so many good things in life, but you know, as we we're talking about before, it's like there's a lot of, the world is a crazy place. So it's very easy to get jaded quickly with what's going on. And uh, this tune was, you know, a reflection of all what I'm, what, we're, what I'm saying here is, is the coloring, the emotions, and being so close to being jaded. You know, jade. Uh, it was, it's sort of a, a ballad, yet it's not a ballad, and uh, it just, it creates these certain emotions, and for me, that's sort of where it came from.
Your previous recordings were basically vibes, sax, drums, and bass. Now, on same time twice, you introduced guitar into the mix. Was uh, was Kurt your first choice? Yeah, when I first you know st- started playing the vibes, I was um, you know approaching the vibes too from the standpoint of a piano, playing it like a piano, and uh, just doing the classic quartet thing of uh, vibes saxophone acoustic bass and drums and you know the vibes would be replacing the piano in your basic standard quartet setting so you know i was i was very drawn to that and it, you know it had a certain sonic sound to it um 
that I really liked. And uh, on my latest album, Same Time Twice, uh, you know, I wanted to add the element of guitar. Um, I mean, it's not, I had played with guitar players a lot before. I had done some fusion things also while I was at Berkeley, and uh, but we never really got to record them professionally. I mean, I do have recordings of, of the fusion stuff, but it was never released. Um, so... You know, you know, again, it's like a, as a jazz musician, you do a lot of different things, and and what gets put out to the public is not always what you're always doing. Is the other aspect. You know, there's there's a lot of hidden material that 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 people will never hear. But um, yeah, well, at the same time, twice when I decided to bring guitar into the mix again, um, I mean, Kurt Rosenwinkel, phenomenal player. He was at Berkeley um, when I was there too, so I, I had known him from my Berkeley days. You know, and I, I didn't know him that well or anything, and we didn't play together when we were at Berkeley. But, I mean, I definitely saw him play a lot, and I was aware of him and, and, and loved his playing. And, you know, as I uh, as I matured as a player and and, and, and grew, uh, and I wanted to record this next CD project, and I wanted to add guitar. I mean, he was definitely my first choice. Um He's just a beautiful player, and his, his classical, his uh, acoustic playing uh, on his classical, you know, nylon string guitar sounds great. Just love it. Um, so yeah, he was my first choice, and you know, I called him up and said, "Hey, you know, remember me from Berkeley? You want to do this?" And uh, yeah, which has all worked out, and uh, glad we did it. To many trumpet players, Louis Armstrong is the core of their development. And when it comes to vibes, it could be argued that Lionel Hampton is the granddaddy of the vibes for most vibists. Now, what did Lionel Hampton mean to you as an artist? Yeah, Lionel Hampton is definitely one of the granddaddies of the vibes. I mean, uh, even before him, um, Red Norvo. I mean, Lionel Hampton was was inspired by Red Norvo. So, and um, Red Norvo recently passed away too. You know, as did Lionel. Um, what did Lionel mean to me as an artist? Um, I mean, he... Um, I, I've, I've heard some of his music. I, I can't say I've checked out Lionel Hampton deeply. I haven't... You know, he's got so many recordings out there. The stuff I've heard, I've liked a lot. Um, you know, he was a certain entertainer, too. He um, he played drums and, uh, and vibes and jumped between the two of them a lot on stage. And uh, he was a showman, showman type of thing, too. And... Uh, you know, that inspired me a lot to see that. And uh, but you know, he did what he wanted to do, and he, he believed in the vibes, and that was great. You know, he he made it happen, and and uh, he kept playing. You know, all the way till his death, basically. He 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 played all his life, and and that was to me that's a great thing that if, if an artist can keep keep doing their their art uh, till the day they die, it's uh, you know they fulfilled their their mission of life and as an artist to tell their story through their art and uh, you know let it be captured through the art and for people to hear from 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 days you know 100 years from from now you can still hear Lionel Hampton records uh you know in his 90s um actually a bass player I played with uh Christian Fabian Bausch he um he played with Lionel in Lionel's band at the very end and it's on his last album so um you know, I have a bit of a connection there with Lionel that way, and uh, I actually haven't heard that last album yet, but I'm not sure when it's coming out, or if, if it is out yet. Um, 
but uh, yeah, he was a great, great, great vibist.
What are you listening to these days? Yeah, what music do I listen to these days? Well, I mean, you definitely listen to a lot of yourself. That's for sure. You know, you, when you're, uh, I mean, when you play your own music all the time, when you're on the road touring, you know, you, uh, you, uh, you get to hear your own group a lot. Um, when you, you know, write your own music, you always, you know, I always record myself, so, you know, I definitely have to listen to myself a lot, and you listen to yourself and and uh, work on things that you want to work on and, you know, edit your playing, learn learn to edit yourself, so uh, definitely have to listen to yourself a lot and then listen to your peers that you're playing with, you know, as you, you record the group a lot live and, and listen to what your peers are doing and, um, you know, check out what they're doing more on a from a recording standpoint, you know, um, you know, as we tour, listen to what they're doing on stage closer from re live recordings, and then also, uh, you know, check out all the players that are that I that I really enjoy. I mean, Chris Potter's music, I love that. Uh, I mean, Kurt Rosewinkle's music, his CDs, Mark Turner, Greg Osby, um, Wayne Shorter, Pat Metheny. You know, st still listen to Gary Burton music. Um, I mean, it's endless uh, the amount of music out there. Um, still listening to rock and roll music. Still listening to, you know, still listening to, to Joni Mitchell. Um, you know, Pat Travers, the guitarist, once in a while. Um, you know, I'm always checking out. You know, what's coming out on the ECM label? I've always always been been a big big fan of the ECM label. So, uh, listen to, to music from them. Um, Wayne Shorter, you know, uh, bought the new Nicholas Payton lately. Um, I guess it just, it's just you know, it's always something new. Um, got st what do I have on order? I just ordered some. I ordered some more Joni Mitchell. Ordered some uh, more Pat Metheny. Uh, what else did I order? You know, I'll get into some of the folk music too. There's some folk players. Um, you know, Amy Lou Harris, uh, stuff like that. You're listening to a special interview that I conducted with Fibist Matthias Lupri a few months ago. My name is Randy McElligot, and you're listening to In Transition on CHUO-FM. We also heard some music from Lionel Hampton from his album Ring Them Bells and a composition entitled Vibraphone Blues. Also, we heard some music from the Matthias Lupri group from his album Same Time Twice and a beautiful piece called Jade. Let's get back to my interview with Matthias Lupri. Let's go way back and uh, see if you can remember your first live gig as a professional. Yeah, my first live gig as a professional. Um, yeah, I was in Alberta playing in a country band, playing drums. I think that's one of my, one of my first professional experiences going on the road with a country band it was called the Lind Hill Band must have been about like 1982 traveling around Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba and you know it was like a I think it was like a trio or a quartet country group and you know it was my first experience going out and playing live and uh, and touring and getting the feel of that whole lifestyle I mean I, I, mean, I had toured before as a you know, in the school bands, we would travel a bit and go to you know go to British Columbia, etc., from Alberta, and and you know tour for about a week. 
but uh, in terms of getting paid and making a living, yeah, the country band that was the first thing. My first, my first gig as a as a vibe, you know, as a vibist was in Boston actually. I never never gig professionally in Canada, but after being in Boston for a while, you know, I started playing around here and uh, um, played at a jazz club in town here, and it was it was a good 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 time and a good learning experience and uh, and uh, you know. Always keep looking forward. You know, many of the great jazz musicians had a tendency to surround themselves with uh, younger musicians to maybe gain some uh, inspiration and uh, ideas along the way. What are your thoughts on this, uh, Matthias? Yeah, that goes back to the whole mentoring process, too, you know, with the whole touring. I mean, it used to be like, like Miles and, and, and Art Blakey. You know, they, they would bring in the younger cats and, and mentor them into the jazz world you know what you know the language of jazz and what it's all about going on the road touring and learning on stage but you know those days are, are kind of gone now there's just not enough gigs anymore and I mean it, it does exist but just not as much as it used to I think and and so you know there are a few cats that do get the calls from the from the masters and they go out and tour and that's great you know but for myself I guess maybe also being a vibe player it, um, there's just not as much call for people calling vibe players. So, you know, I, f I find myself putting my own bands together more and just touring that way. But, you know, I do I do bring in guest artists all the time, and, and that to me, again, is just having them on stage, you know, having Greg Osby on stage with, with our group. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you learn so much standing next to him and talking to him and going out for dinner with him and just hanging out and, you know, discussing life and, and music. So when you were growing up, what uh, what music did you listen to? Yeah, when I grew up, I mean, I, I never, I, I didn't, I didn't even listen to jazz at all until my mid twenties when I started playing the vibe. So I grew up listening to rock and roll, and uh, you know everything from Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, like I said before, uh, you know bands like Styx, and uh, you know of course listening to the Beatles and and uh, Bob Dylan and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I still listen to that. I still like listening to to a lot of the pop and rock world music. And um, but you know, listen to the jazz too now. So it's it's uh, so much out there, a lot of classical music. My parents, you know, pretty much listened to classical music, so I did hear a lot of classical growing up. But I mean, they weren't musicians or anything, but uh, definitely a lot of opera and classical in the house. Matthias, here are some names that I'd like to throw your way, and I want you to give me the first impressions that run across your mind. And we're going to start off with um, a vibes player that um, most people have probably never heard of, but those in the jazz world uh, know quite a bit, I'm sure, of his work, and his name is uh, Dave Pike. First thing that comes to my mind, all right, uh, Dave Pike, uh, let me see. Uh, Pike's Peak uh, album he did great vibist he was a vibe player he's still around um, did a great album called Pike's Peak with I think Bill, Bill Evans was on piano on that one and uh, really enjoyed that album I think one of the most talented arrangers and composers um, on the jazz scene at the moment and certainly someone who uh, gave an excellent performance here at the Ottawa International Jazz Festival is uh, Maria Schneider now, what are your thoughts on uh, on this gifted uh, musician? Maria Schneider. Um, I can't say I've heard a lot of her music, but 
I mean, she's a, uh, a ranger, you know, I guess, um, coming from the Gil Evans school, I guess, and, uh, you know, I've heard, I've seen her name around a lot. I can't say I've really checked out what she's done, but she's, uh, she's doing well for herself. I see her name out there a lot. Another throwback to one of the great vibes from the past and someone who is, uh, to my knowledge, still performing, the great uh, Terry Gibbs. Terry Gibbs, um, great vibist. Um, I've heard him quite a bit here and there. Seen him, seen him play live. Very, very melodic player. I even play his mallets. He uses his own mallet. He has a, um, he's on a Vic Firth mallet artist, and uh, I use a lot of his. He has some mallets I use a lot. I like the sound that he gets. So uh, I use sort of his mallets, his medium mallets with uh you know, I have I have Vic Firth Company extend the 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 length of the mallets a bit longer for my taste, but uh, first thing that comes to my mind that that was it. Probably the granddaddy of uh, arrangers and uh, composers of the last forty years, and someone who uh, Maria Schneider was heavily influenced by, uh, Gil Evans. I see Gil Evans um, again, another great arranger. Uh, probably influenced Maria Schneider a lot. Um, you know, love some of the stuff he did in his early days with Miles. Uh, but then again, I can't say that I really checked out a lot of Gil Evans uh, to the nth degree. And finally, um, certainly one of my favorite uh, vibe players of all time, someone who's always um, inspired me and always uh, made me smile when I heard his playing, Bobby Hutcherson. Bobby Hutcherson, yeah. Um Great vibraphonist. I've checked out a lot of his music over the years. Beautiful lyrical player. Um, coming from more of a two mallet approach, playing you know one mallet in each hand. I, I'm coming from I'm playing more of the Gary Burton style, two mallets in each hand, playing more like a piano. He plays the he plays the uh, vibes more like a horn player would play, um, single lines. Beautiful player though. Uh, I guess one of his. One of his albums that I really loved, uh, it was called Solo Quartet. You know, on the first, it was, you know, I have the, it was before CDs, it was an album he had, and uh, the first side of the album was him playing solo in a studio situation, and he was overdubbing marimba and xylophones and all these different types of mallet instruments. And then on the second side, he, uh, it was a quartet with uh, Billy Higgins on drums, and Cedar, no, sorry, McCoy Tyner on piano, and uh, I think McCoy, that was when McCoy first came out of retirement, because McCoy went into retirement for a while, um, and that was a beautiful album, just love the sound that he had on that album with, with this quartet there, I can't remember the bassist right now, but uh, beautiful album, and that really inspired me when I, when I first started playing the vibes.
That was beautiful music from vibist Bobby Hutcherson with McCoy Tyner on piano, and that's from their album Manhattan Moods, released on the Blue Note label, and we heard their version of Gershwin's Porgy. My name is Randy McElligot, and you're listening to a special edition of In Transition, my interview with Matthias Lupri, vibist out of the States, who lived for many years up here in Canada, but is now making a name for himself. He has three releases out, and we're going to be exploring those as the show progresses. I've asked this question of several musicians, and it's one of the most difficult questions to answer. If you had never pursued a career uh, playing jazz, what would you have done instead? Yeah, if I never started playing jazz, well, you know, I was I was a, a rock and roll drummer. Played a lot of, a lot of hard rock bands in the 80s, and... Um, you know, that was a lot of fun. I, I could have kept doing that, um, but it was really crazy. It was for me. I had a. It was just getting too crazy. That's why I got out of there. And I, you know, musically, I was feeling a bit stifled. And I got into jazz, and it's been great. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of great things about playing hard rock too. That I love doing. I love playing hard rock drums. Um, so I could have kept doing that, maybe. Um, even before before I was a musician, I actually one of the first things I wanted to do was be a cartoonist. I was I was always drawing cartoons as a kid. I was pretty good at it, so uh, I thought that could be a fun occupation, and you know, it'd be it'd be a career like a real career where I'm I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and, and getting off on it, and and this is what I, you know, would affect me deeply. You know, when you do it, be sort of sort of an artistic thing too to do the cartoons and and. Um, you know, write your own cartoon captions about life, you know, but more from a comedian standpoint, I guess, you know. Um, and also was, I was also into, into um, airplanes. I, was, uh, I wanted to be a pilot. I, when I was a kid, I used to fl- fly a lot of um, remote control airplanes and build my own planes and fly them. You know, was that, and that too was a sort of an artistic endeavor. It was a hobby that I took very seriously. And, um, you know, built these models, and you know they took months and months and months to build, and then you know quite a lot of money actually to to make them, and then you go fly them, and uh, got into the whole race. There was these racing teams I used to get on. You'd race these airplanes. These they were model airplanes, so remote control, and uh, that was really exciting. And that got me into wanting to be a pilot. So I started working my private's license to be a private pilot, and um, you know never followed through with that all the way, but. Um, yeah, being a pilot was definitely something that would have been of interest to me. But, uh, you know, as soon as I got the music bug, uh, the music really just really took over my whole life, and uh, it's been overwhelming since. Performing and writing, are they separate, or do they go hand in hand? I mean, that whole thing about performing and writing material, for me, it's, 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 it's both. It's both. It's, it's hand in hand. You live your life, you write your music, and then you play your music out to the audience, and you get the feedback, and you go back, you know, you go back to your studios, and you write your music again, and perfect it, you know, compositionally as much as you can, bring it to the band, and then play it as a jazz tune, and and see where it goes again, and you know, it's it's the combination of the two, the the performing and the writing, complete the whole with you know. Some people just, I guess, play standards all their life, and for me, that would be I would be half fulfilled. I, I would, I mean, I just couldn't fulfill my, maybe even less, because 
for me, performing is performing my own music, and that to me is 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 the ultimate high. I'd like to feature something from uh, your first album. Uh, what would you like to hear? Yeah, from that CD, uh, Window Up, Window Down. Let's uh, let's play the tune called Pictures. Uh, I mean, that whole album was a sort of concept album of 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 different things, um, but Pictures basically kind of explains the whole album. I mean, I I wrote I write a lot of music from sitting at a piano that overlooks a window um, in my apartment that I had in Boston at the time, and um, so you sit at this piano, look out this window and see the pictures of life, basically. You're just looking at life going by outside, all the things that go on, and, you know, this this window frame that I'm looking through is, is the picture, and, uh, and you're sitting at the piano and looking at these pictures going by, and, and as you're sitting playing the piano, you know, you're just playing around, noodling, noodling around, and you'd record yourself a lot. I'd record myself a lot doing that, and, uh, you know, you would... Uh, the life and the pictures that you see would filter through your, your your thought process and your and and you know kind of through your body into your fingers and out it came through the piano and uh, you know you come up with music I came up with a lot of music that way from that record and and just thinking about life and uh, the things that go on and and also seeing it so let's play uh, pictures. Thank you. 
Do you have any thoughts on the state of uh, popular music as it stands today? Yeah, the state of the popular music. Yeah, that's an always an interesting question. Uh, you know, I guess I think about that once in a while, but I find myself so involved uh, with the music that I'm playing myself and of my peers and, you know, what, what do I want to listen to? So I, I search out a lot of music on CDs, you know, and throughout history of, of music that I want to check out. So the popular music of the day, I don't really even hear it that much except on the occasional radio station that I might have to come across or uh, on TV. And, uh, you know, geez, uh, what to say about it. A lot of it I don't like, yeah. I don't like a lot of it. But, you know, there's some nice stuff out there, too. And uh, it's, 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 you know... I guess it's. I mean, as you grow older, you know, you're. you're I, I always confuse that issue. You know, is 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 it really that? I mean, all of our elders said when we were growing up, the music that we listened to was horrible, and their parents said their music was horrible. And I think that shall always be the case. Now, whether it really is worse or not, I mean, jeez, I mean, there's there's some good stuff out now, and there's some really horrible stuff too. So. Uh, it's, you know, I just sort of, I don't think about it too much, don't dwell on it, do what I do, and uh, do the music I want to do, and, and that's what I do. Do you spend a lot of time practicing? Yeah, I definitely try to spend a lot of time practicing. You know, it's it's hard to um, to have a steady routine, but I, I'm definitely trying to work on that more and more, and uh, try to put in two to three hours a day, if possible, every day, um, no matter what, on music. Um, you know, hands on the instrument. You know, there's so much, other, so many other things too going on. I mean, if you're touring a lot, um, you know, you're already spending three hours on the instrument already, two to three hours playing every night. So, you know, from touring, I definitely try to do more warm up things and then uh, maybe off instrument practicing, just rhythmic things maybe uh, with the hands and, and a lot of listening. You know, when you're on the road, you just do a lot of listening and. Uh, to records, and I mean that's a practicing in itself. Just try to listen and listen, you know, not listen as background music, but listen with you know, put on some headphones and just close your eyes, and listen to a whole record, a whole CD straight through, uh, with no interruptions, and you know, really let the music carry you into another world. To me, that's really important to do that kind of stuff because that's that's where you really uh, dig deep down inside of yourself and uh, and hear the music for what it is and. How, how how it affects you as a human being, but yeah, I try to practice every day, and um, you know, you know, I, you know, special techniques. I mean, um, wow, that's that's an endless topic there. Um, you know, I'm always working on new things to develop my vocabulary as a musician, as a jazz artist, but you know, also, you know. You have to go back and, and look, you know, what what were you working on 10 years ago? You know, can you still do that? Do you, you, know, you know, do you need to refresh yourself on that? So, and then also just, you know, working on the tunes that you're writing. You, have to, you know, as a composer, you're also composing music. So, you need to write, spend time writing, and you spend time, you know, practicing what you've written and trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's special about the tunes that you're writing and, 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 
how to improvise over them and you know it's unlim unlimited unlimited amount of things that you can be practicing so um just never enough time <laughs> time is of the essence well i couldn't agree with you more there same time twice is your latest release uh, is this your most satisfying session to date uh, matthias yeah we sort of discussed before about the uh, most satisfying release you know the same time twice album um I mean, it was great to play. Um, it was, you know, again with uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel on guitar, Mark Turner on saxophones, Ruben Rogers, acoustic bass, and uh, Gregory Hutchison on drums. Um, you know, getting that band together, that was a dream band for me. I had a lot of fun doing it. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, it it was very satisfying to do. And, of course, there were always things I, I wish were different. But then again, you know, it is what it is on that day when you record it. And uh, there it is. If we, you know, could have toured for a whole year as that unit, you know, toured for a whole year and then recorded that music, uh, you know, it would be a, it would be a different album, definitely. Um, but what you're hearing there is is, you know, five jazz musicians getting together after, you know, playing as a unit for a couple hours prior, and you know, we didn't do a lot of rehearsing, you know, which is. Um, you know, you have certain charts that there they are, and and uh, you know they looked at the charts a bit, and then we play them. And um, you know, that's the beauty of of jazz; it's improvised music. So you're hearing their takes on looking at some notes on paper, and and the you know the emotions that they were carrying with them that day, and the, their abilities on their instruments, and you know what they can gather from their whole history of of knowledge and pour it into that session and that's that's what you get and uh it's a combined effort and you know i was very happy with it um you know it has its flaws of course and there's certain things if i could do over i'd do over but hey you know that's the growth process and uh you know the next cd is going to be different players probably different different music different time different day it's just it's always different and uh you know, just hope for, hope for the best and uh you know, try to be happy with your accomplishments that you you do every day. You know, that's one of the big thing about things too. I, you know, I think about a lot. You know, there are so many things in life that are important, and music to me is very is a very important thing. Of course, at the same time, it's it's just music. You know, yet it's my life, so it's kind of a dilemma when you think about it. But um, it's just music. Yet. You know, it, it it's so deeply rooted inside of me that it it it, it takes so much of my life up. Um, you know, so when you say, you know, are you satisfied with this with this with this uh, this CD as as a whole? It's it's always a hard thing to think about. And and you know, you listen back to your CDs, you get too close to your music. That's the other issue. You get way too close to your music. You you write the music and then you know you maybe rehearse it a bit and then you record it and then you tour it. And then when you try to listen back to it, man, you're like, you've heard it so much and you know it so well inside and out that it's hard to listen to it from the right perspective. I mean, people that hear it for the first time, you know, with a different set of ears, it's 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 just a totally different thing for that. So, you know, it's always fun to go back to your first, you know, when I go back and listen to my first records and hear them, you know, I always get a different feeling from them. So, you know, ask me that same question in 10 years. <laughs> I probably have a better answer for you. When you're performing, 
Is there a particular setting that you uh, like to play in? For example, maybe a solo uh, setting or a duo, orchestral, or maybe even a, a group setting? Yeah, I, I play in lots of different situations. Um, I guess as a traveling jazz musician, I really I prefer doing a group thing, quartet, quintet. Usually, you know, right now I'm really into the more of the quintet sounds that I can get. Within the group setting, um, is there anything that you're trying to accomplish that may be unique or or different? You know, within the quintet, as we tour, you know, I'm doing solo pieces, we're doing duet pieces, so trio pieces, and it you know it it goes everything from you know soloist to quintet, um, and sometimes you're mixing in electronics and sampling as you're playing. So you know sextet, you know if you're you're playing along with with it with something that you've just sampled into your playing with with looping devices or something with the new electronic age you know that adds another member to the group all of a sudden so i guess you know that's sort of the group aspect of it but i mean i i've i've def definitely done solo acts where i've gone out and just done, done a solo thing or a duet orchestral playing i can't say i've done too much i did in my early days when i first started playing music but for me I'm all about the whole personal expression. Personal expression is one thing, but uh, in an orchestral setting, you have uh, more restraints placed on you, I guess. I guess the focus might be, uh, from a, a compositional point of view, uh, the composer might be highlighted as opposed to the uh, actual musician that's playing an arrangement or a piece. I find in orchestral music, the personal expression is more of the composer than it is of the individual musician. So when you hear an orchestra, to me, I hear the emotions of the composer and of the orchestra as a whole. I don't really hear the emotions of each player. I mean, there are certain pieces, of course, where you can hear that, but uh, I find in jazz where you improvise and you can really hear the player's emotions as opposed to a classical person playing everything note for note for note for note. You know, it's it's... I find it harder to, to distinguish is that you know in classical music is that player really playing from the heart with every note he plays or is he you know is he just reading the notes on the paper it's 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 hard for me to tell sometimes but uh, I mean I love classical music I, I just I could wish I had more time to listen to more music there's so much great music out there there's so much classical music and I'd love to to, to listen to and jazz and rock there's just so much. One of the great sax players, I think, on the uh, on the jazz scene, is uh, currently working in Boston and the Eastern Seaboard. His name is George Garzon. Uh, he appeared on your second release, Shadow of the Vibe. What was it like working with him? Yeah, the following CD, Shadow of the Vibe, with um, George Garzon, um, that was great. Um, you know, after I graduated Berkeley, a lot of the players I played with had moved on. A lot of people moved to New York. Uh, you know, you start searching out other players to play with, and um, George Garzon, great, great heavy, heavy player from Boston, uh, has a great band with uh, John Lockwood called The Fringe, uh, very avant-garde-ish kind of thing. No, no music per se. It's no charts. They just play free, basically, and uh, you know, I saw him play quite a lot around Boston, uh, I'd be sure it sure would be great to play with George. And, you know, I, I came up with the music for my next album, and uh, 
and I asked him if he wanted to do it, and we did it. And it was great. It was, uh, again, it's just basically going to the studio one day, play the tunes, there it is. Um, a lot of them were first takes, and, uh, you know, what you hear is what, what we did, and, and not really any rehearsing, not much rehearsing. I mean, there was a bit, I guess, with the other guys. I didn't really do any rehearsing with George. But, um, you know, he's a great player, knows his horn, you know, knows how to get around it. And uh, definitely brought a, you know, brought a new element to the table and, and raised the bar for all of us. Playing with John Lockwood, too, great bassist. Uh, um, so, you know, we went and toured a, a bit on that album a lot, did some festivals. We uh, played the Litchfield Jazz Festival. Uh, I took George up to Toronto. We went and played at the top of the center there for a week. Um, you know, stuff around the New England area. So it's great. Great playing with him and, and probably going to do some more in the future. Many years ago, in fact it was in the 70s, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was once quoted as saying, Society is only great when it has aspiring artists, and then good administrative people, and then politicians. And he stressed them in that order. Do you have any comments on the importance of artists in society? Hmm, that's an interesting uh, thing. Uh, I'd have to maybe reflect on that one a bit to uh, comment more deeply on that, but uh, I mean, yeah. I definitely feel artists are important in society. Um, you know, the world is a crazy place, let me tell you. I mean, you can just look at the news these days, what's going on in the world, and, I mean, what has gone on in the world. If you look at the history, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling how crazy and upside down everything really is. And um, as an artist, you know, I really, uh, I mean, I'm a, being an artist is a very peaceful thing. I mean, and and it's a peaceful way to live. And you're just sort of, you know, you're you you're creating art and 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 writing about what you see in the world around you, I guess. And uh, you know, I think it's very important for for people to you know listen to what the artists are doing and 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 try to you know get a feel of what they're doing and 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 reflect on it more too you know like uh i mean 
for me, when I listen to music and I really reflect on it, I feel a certain calmness usually over me. And, and, and I guess that sort of goes back to, um, you know, I mean, what, how do you define art, too, you know? But, uh, you know, when you, uh, the question about today's popular music, you know, um, being a jazz musician, I mean, you're definitely not doing this for the money. I mean, jazz music, it's just, the money just is not there uh, like it is in the pop world. So you can see the pop world and how backwards it has become in many ways due to the economics and you know it's all about chasing the money for a lot of them um, and if you look at a lot of the artists that are out there their products you know they're just products of the record company the product you know they're not artists that that I would feel would you know had a definite thing to say it was sort of they were just put together a lot of them by by the record companies and 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 uh, but you know, I don't know. It's a it's a hard question. Um, I mean, there's a lot of great music out there still today that's popular. But I mean, I think as in terms of society and, and the importance of it, it's it's such a big topic. Um, I mean, there's there's I mean, I don't know what else to say about that. It's it's it's, it's a huge topic. <laughs> Maybe for another day. <laughs> Well, that just about wraps things up for another edition of In Transition. Hope you have a great week. My name is Randy McElligot. Bye for now.